0: But if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to Acts 23, and we're going to read that together. Start at chapter 22, verse 30, the verse right before chapter 23. So 22, verse 30. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he bound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. And Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet, contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? And those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was a high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. And now when Paul had perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other part Pharisees, he cried out in the council, brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes and Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded that the soldiers to go down and take him away from them by force, and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And when it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath, neither to drink nor to, uh, to, drink till, till, nor to eat until they had killed Paul. And there were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. And they went to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you, as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Then he called two more centurions and said, Get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also, provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias, to the excellency, the governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them and with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. And describing to you the charge, the charge for which um, they were accusing him, I, I brought him down to the council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. But when it, And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers to state before you that, that they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instruction, took Paul and brought him by night to Ant- Antipatris. And on the next day, they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. And when they had come to Caesarea, they delivered the letter to the governor. They presented Paul also before him. And on reading the letter, he asked, what providence he was from. And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I, give you a, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be, to be guarded in Herod's petorium. This is the word of the Lord.
1: I think I can guarantee that the Apostle Paul had no idea that all of that was going to happen to him. I think if you go back and you go to that encounter where he is on the road to Damascus and Jesus appears to him and invites him into a relationship with him, but invites him into a mission and Jesus has a plan for him, I don't think the apostle Paul saw this. I don't know what he saw, but when you think about the amount of um, uh, difficulty, of adversity that he is going through, it at least stops me... And it makes me ask this particular question, am I willing to follow Jesus no matter what circumstances come in my life? Which makes me ask, when I first decided to follow Jesus, what was I signing up for? What was I signing up for? I think that question is a good question to ask because we don't know specifically what circumstances we're going to find ourselves in. So if I were to ask you, hey, how are you doing? How are things going? For many of you, you would say things are going great. And, and that, that, that song that we just sang, that God is good, isn't he good? And then you'd have a list for me of things, of reasons why that you believe that God is good specifically to you. And you look back on the last few uh, days, weeks, even maybe months, and for the most part, things are going well. And there's a lot to be grateful for. So I'm doing well. Others of you, not so much. Others of you, that's not been your story. That the last few days, weeks, maybe months, have been difficult. That you've, you've had more detours than easy passes. That you've had more um, nights of deep concern or deep sorrow. You've had more moments where you find yourself, again, at the breaking point. And so when I ask you how you're doing, I'm not doing so well, I can still sing that God is good, but um, it's more either me remembering like a long time ago, or it's me just kind of hoping that things are going to change. That's where I'm at. That's what's going on right now in my life. Which makes me wonder as a church, and and when I speak about that, I hope you know that I'm speaking about not just all the other churches in America, but Sunnybrook is different. Now, I hope there are some things that, that we are not, um, not guilty of, that maybe some churches that are struggling uh, with their understanding of their mission are struggling with. But looking collectively at how particularly the church in America, because that's the church that I've been a part of for a pretty long time now, the church in North America, the church in the West, So often when we encounter people, Road to Damascus type experience, we invite them into a relationship with Jesus Christ and then to be a part of his mission, we do so trying to help people see themselves as their lives getting better. Like if you come follow Jesus, your life will be better. If you come follow Jesus, your circumstances, there's going to be hard days. I'm not going to lie to you, but God is going to be with you. And overall, it's going to be kind of like the stock market, right? Like there'll be some down days, but for the most part, it's onward and upward. Like we don't want to talk about a spiritual recession. If you just hold on, and if you just think long term, I promise you, things will get better. If you just keep reading your Bible and doing what it says, if you keep um, coming to church and being involved in community, do you see your life overall being better than it used to be? And that's one of the reasons why, why people can have spiritual experiences, deep spiritual experiences in very difficult times in their lives where they feel like they're at the breaking point and then all of a sudden Jesus shows up and this is my way out. This is the the hope that I was looking for, and I'm just going to believe in a a better tomorrow because Jesus has finally come and promised me hope. And we need to be careful. I I would say this to parents. We need to be careful about how we talk about faith. Like group leaders, we really need to be careful about how we talk about faith. Faith. For those of you that are youth sponsors or you're working in our children's ministry, be very careful how we talk about faith because in reality, we don't know exactly what tomorrow is going to bring, do we? The Bible even warns about this. Be very careful promising, oh, tomorrow I'm going to do such and such. And on the next day, I'm going to do such and such. Be very careful for a foolish person talks like that because we do not know about what tomorrow is going to bring. The Bible cautions us. From looking at life in a one-dimensional way. I think that's why most people, and maybe even we, if we could go back and look at it, would think, hey, why don't we preach roughly the first 18, 19-ish chapters of the book of Acts, maybe up to 20, and then just kind of call it a day, and you know, we'll just write a little, uh, kind of a, a brief explanation of what happens in the last eight chapters. Because from chapter 20, 21 all the way through 28, things never really get better for Paul. By better, I mean like circumstances remain hard. And yet, I think if I were to stop him right now at this moment, while he finds himself um, like on the run, like I don't know how you ever like respond. Imagine if somebody said to you, hey, by the way, I heard there are 40 guys that are planning to kill you, and they've taken an oath, and they're promised not to eat until you're dead. How many of you would go, oh, okay, who won the football game yesterday? No, 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 no. Like, you would be, okay, wait, 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 what a what, what, what's happening? What kind of adversity do I need to go through? Oh, yeah, and then, by the way, you're going to, is it ever, Paul, Paul asking this question, is it ever going to just get better? Like, is it ever going to get easier? And truthfully, listen, the Bible doesn't really say one way or the other. The Bible never really promises the answer to that question. Can you tell me how it's going to go? God never promises that. And yet he doesn't leave you in the dark. But here's what you constantly find and this is what we need to constantly promise people is that in the midst of your life whether it's good and God be praised if it is that God will be with you. And if it gets bad And God will be with you. But we don't serve Jesus because circumstances are going to get better. And we don't serve him just because they're not going to get better. We serve him because of who he is. Because he is good. We encounter Jesus Christ And we see in him something that is absolutely worth us devoting our attention, us devoting our devotion, us devoting, willing to sacrifice because we believe that following Jesus Christ and doing as he has asked and being a part of his mission is worth it no matter what, not because it just makes my life better. Because in reality, it would be easier if you're in high school it'd be a whole lot easier if you just selectively chose like when to follow Jesus, wouldn't it? Like I want to follow Jesus like when it works for me, but then if I find myself in a really, really bad circumstance, then it really would be better for me. It would just work out better for me if I were to selectively choose when to follow him. Like in college, right? Wouldn't it be better if you just selectively chose when to follow him? If you just decided when it was advantageous for you and that's when I want to follow him, but if I feel like it's going to cost me, then I don't want to because I'm trying to follow that path of least resistance. And I remember thinking that, that junior high would be hard, but that high school would be better, but then I thought that college would be easier and then I thought that being a grown-up would be easier. And what I ultimately found out was that following Jesus Christ is always hard. Because what the Bible promises us The picture of the world that the Bible gives us is a world that is opposed to the way of God, a world that God made that is in opposition to him. And so those chapters in the book of Acts 21, 22, all the way through 28 show God's servant Paul being faithful in the face of wave after wave after wave after wave of opposition and by the way, I, I don't know if that's what you're going through. Like, I don't know if, if that is so out of touch for you because I, really things are going well and I hope you're not making me feel bad because they are. I'm really not. I'm able to look at you and say, man, I think that's great. I think it's great that your health is doing well. I think it's great that your family is doing well. I think it is great and I hope that you praise God for how your business is being successful and God is just rewarding everything that you were doing. I hope you're able to thank God for all of that But I'm asking you, are you following Jesus Christ because of that? Or are you willing to, in the downturn, are you willing to, even in the upturn, are you willing to recognize that there must be more than circumstantial faithfulness? And that's what this text is really challenging us with. And I hope this morning that you and I can honestly ask some questions that help us come to a a deeper devotion to who Jesus Christ is so that we aren't finding ourselves circumstantially driven. We don't find ourselves just in the uh, kind of the swim of things that we're not processing exactly where we're at so we're able to sing God is good and then the tear streams down our face because you're believing it to be true but right now you're not feeling it. Or you're singing that God is good and his goodness to you circumstantially is just overwhelming you. And it is just so painfully and joyfully clear. But that joy exists in both circumstances. That peace exists in both circumstances. That by the grace of God... And for the glory of God, that you and I have found the ability to find following him to be a joyful and peaceful experience when stuff like this happens, wave after wave after wave of disappointment and opposition. How how do we do that? We're going to look at the life of the apostle Paul, and then since it is so different than the vast majority of our lives, I think we just need to be honest with that. It is so different. Like, I can't say I know exactly what it's like to be the Apostle Paul. No, I have no idea what it's like. I've even been in some of the places where we're reading through today. Like, I've been in Antonia's Fortress. I've been in um, Herod's Praetorium. But honestly, it's, it's so much more peaceful today. Like, I, I literally, at the end of the text, it talks about Paul being in Herod's praetorium as he is waiting for his accusers to come up to Caesarea, and I've literally sat right near where that fireplace is. All the walls are gone, and it is this beautiful, serene place, and I was able to just kind of sit there and reflect about God's goodness to his servant, Paul. I guarantee you it was more complicated with Roman soldiers. We've traveled by bus, actually, you know, from Jerusalem, down, it's actually north, but it's down, and we've kind of snaked up along the seaside and saw the beautiful country. I've not been escorted by 200 soldiers, 200 spearmen, and 70 horsemen. No, 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 we were on a It was a Mercedes bus, by the way. It's one thing to reflect upon God's faithfulness and goodness in this place on a Sunday morning. And, and, and by the way, it's a good thing to do that. But I pray that we then take what we experience in a place like this, what we learn from a text like this into all of the avenues and the areas of our lives. That we bring it into those moments of desperation and struggle. And we bring it with us to those heights of great, great joy. What happens when circumstances are lined up against us? The Apostle Paul obviously has experienced these. I like this statement that he gives us in chapter 23, verse 1. The Apostle Paul, as he looks at his own life, he gives a number of comments about how he views his life. Both before following Jesus Christ and after. And he uses this verse in verse 1 as kind of a description of how he sees himself. He says this, brothers, as he's speaking in defense before a group of Pharisees and Sadducees, a group known as the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, and the Apostle Paul says this, brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. What he's saying is this, every step of the way, I have tried to pursue what I believed personally God wanted for me. Uh, It's interesting that he says this in the middle of a time when he is also going to say, and I needed to make some corrections. Apostle Paul is bold to say, yes, I lived my life in all good conscience, and a lot of that was actually wrong. A lot of that was broken. Paul looked at the circumstances of his life and he might even with the best of intentions was trying to follow what he thought was right. And this is the danger of our own intentions or the danger of our own conscience, which by the way can be given to us, the Bible teaches that our conscience can be given to us as a guide. But our good conscience, just like our temporary circumstances, are never enough to create peace with God. See, the Apostle Paul, as he is describing his circumstances, may see himself as being faithful as he understood it to God in every step of the way, but Jesus Christ came and completely redirected his life. Jesus didn't say, well, you know what, you've been doing a great job since you've been following your own conscience, and so I don't need to interrupt you. No, Jesus appears to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul, Saul, why are you fighting against me? Who am I fighting against? I'm, I'm Jesus. I am the one that you're persecuting as you persecute my people. Like Paul, something needs to change. Because Paul is, is reading the Bible and reading circumstances, and he just can't see that anything needs to change. And this is why we need something that is so much greater, that is so much deeper, that is so much bigger than using how are we doing, how are we feeling, how are we thinking. No, we need something that can hold us in place. We need a tool, actually, to help us interpret our circumstances, to help us interpret the difficult times that we're going through, to keep us in check when times are good. To keep us even tied to something that is so much deeper than I can't, I think I've got this all worked out. I really have. I have been doing the best that I can, and this is why we got to be really careful about these cliches that come to us. These cliches, as long as you try your best. This is the cliche that I want to work off this morning. This idea that has actually crept into our theology, cliches aren't bad, as long as they remain on Twitter. It's when they creep into our theology, and they do. I'd like to think that that's just, that's just others. No, but it's me. Have you heard this statement? When God closes a door, he opens a window. That is our thinking. That is our thinking, which is some kind of deep rooted promise. That if God's going to shut something down, it's because he has something what? Better for us. Now, by the way, if you want to make, like, um, (laughs) needing 470 people to get you to Caesarea as better, if you mean being flogged or shipwrecked as better, If you mean being denounced by your countrymen as better, but that's not what we mean, is it? And then we wonder why people just say, yeah, they, they slowly, I have a deep concern for this, people who find themselves very slowly just pulling away from the gospel. As we were reminded a number of weeks ago, pulling away from Christian community pulling away from their walk with God through Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's not working for me. It's just not working. Like it's not getting better. Like I just don't see how my faith is making any difference in my life. It's, the, it's, it's these kinds of texts that I am guilty of just skipping over. That kind of leave us in a, um, in a very simplistic way of looking at God's word and faith and life circumstances, which then don't prepare us for those moments where there is difficulty and hardship. I would even say they don't even prepare us when things are going well. The Apostle Paul is able to look at those times when circumstances are lined up against him. And it's not that he remains unaffected. It's it's not that there's not like a, 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 a change or there's no change at all in his attitude or behavior. No, as we're going to see, the Apostle Paul is a very real person with real emotions and a real approach to life. And yet there is something that is deeper that is able to sustain him and hold him through. But when we hold on to a cliche version of spirituality or a very simplistic way of looking at Jesus Christ, no wonder when we go to college, we decide to try something different. No wonder when our marriage falls apart and it doesn't look like it's going to get fixed. We just quit. Like it just makes sense, actually. And maybe that's what Chesterton means by it's not that the Christian life has been tried and found wanting. But Christian life has never really been tried. It's a famous quote. That's his response to what's actually happening when people find life more difficult than their faith can bear. So please, as we look at this and as we look at the Apostle Paul's response to this, it's not circumstantially driven. Look at verse 10 of this text, and I want you to kind of feel this for a moment. I know it's hard to kind of get a sense of what he's going through, but when you look at these circumstances, I mean, if this was my kid, I would be deeply concerned for him. If this were my brother, I would ask him whether or not he's following or he's sensing God's leading right. Because ministry should not be this hard. Verse 10. And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him away from among them by force and bring him back into the barracks. Do you realize what's going on? This is a theological discussion where a whole Roman Military envoy has to go down to rescue him. Boy, there's ever a time where you think, Boy, did God want me to come to this church? Did God want me to kind of, did God want me to risk like my own life in this circumstance? If there's a time when you begin to wonder whether or not you heard God right, it's in these moments. When things seem disruptive and, um, and violent and painful, that's when we begin to ask, did I hear God right? There's got to be another, what we mean is easier, there's got to be another path. By the way, I, I say that because I don't think there is anything that is wrong with recognizing the difficulty of the path of following Jesus. Jesus. There's nothing wrong with with recognizing wow, it would be so much easier if I just I guess that's why Jesus makes some pretty bold statements about what it means to follow him. The road to him, to follow him is narrow and few find it. That the road that that, that, that would lead away from him, that would lead to destruction, is very wide, and it's easy to find, and it's easy to walk on, it's easy to stay on. It's the road of faith, it's the road of faithfulness, it's the road of encountering Jesus and staying with him. That's the one that's narrow. Well, Paul, how did you do it? And I, I think it's as simple as, and as profound as, The Apostle Paul just was ready to respond and to hear and to then trust the words that God has already spoken to him. That the Apostle Paul, instead of getting wrapped up or caught up in circumstances, instead of him being caught up on how things are going right now, the Apostle Paul doesn't just look for a brighter tomorrow. The Apostle Paul is not banking on, well, you know, once I get through this little prison stint, I know that I'm going to have a really productive ministry. That's not what he's doing. He is saying at every moment, exactly when I need it, Jesus Christ comes to me and he reminds me of what I need to do and who he is. That instead of Jesus freeing him from his circumstances, he promises his presence in the midst of those circumstances. Which then makes me ask, is the presence of Jesus, is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, is God's word to me and his promises to me enough during those difficult times or during those really, really good times? Am I really interested and am I really satisfied in who God is and his presence in my life Or is there something better than that? Is there something more than that that I really want? And I think that's why it's good for us to come together to just stop and to reflect and to ask this question, like, Jesus, is it really you that I love? Is it really you that I want? Is it really your name that I care about? Is it really your kingdom that I'm going to trust and put at the center of my life? God, is it really me ordering my life around you? Or am I just using you to somehow get through life in a better, more productive way? I think it's the quintessential question that we ask. Do we have a religion, just like every other religion, that functions to make life easier and better? Or do we have a God that is worthy of our worship and our adoration and our sacrifice, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in? And so the Apostle Paul says, I just, I remember all that God has promised me. I want to go through the book of Acts, and there's not a lot of moments. I mean, you would think that, the, uh, that Jesus was talking to Paul almost every step of the way, and he had a lot of walking to do. He had a lot of time in which he was sitting in prison, and, and yet we only have a very handful of times, handful of times when Jesus appears to him. The first one is at that encounter that he has in Acts chapter 9. And this instruction actually isn't really given directly to Paul. It's given to the prophet Ananias. And Ananias directs it to Paul. And in Acts chapter 9, verses 15 through 16, one thing that is holding Paul in place, one thing that is steadying his worrisome heart, he's about to be told by Jesus, to take courage. You usually don't tell really, really, really brave, strong people who aren't wrestling with anything, take courage. Ananias tells Paul this, Jesus speaking to him now. He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Now that's all, I'm all all for that. that's That's a great speaking gig. I get to talk to all the Gentiles, that's a lot of people. I get to talk to the children of Israel, love them, and I even get to talk in front of kings. Wow, what a platform! That's our language, isn't it? What a platform, what an opportunity. Wow, this kingdom thing must just be really just tearing it up. Wow, and Paul, and God is using Paul, and he's doing great things through Paul. Think of that. We know, we've studied the book of Acts. To speak in front of the Gentiles was a difficult thing for him to do. They didn't always receive his message. To speak to the children of Israel winds him up in prison. (laughs) And we're about to deal with the fact that he is going to speak before a king. He's going to appeal to Caesar. Think about how he gets there. Like, none of this is easy. Oh, and that's why it's really good to listen to the last half of what he said. Not only will he be his chosen instrument, he says, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Why? Because the world in which Paul lived was diametrically opposed to God. The Roman world in which he lived, the Jewish world in which he lived, the world in which he grew up was diametrically opposed to God and to honoring him and to following Jesus And when Jesus invited him into that, then Paul, as God's chosen instrument, chose to speak the truth, to follow him, no matter the circumstances, no matter the outcome. He goes on to say in Acts chapter 22, although he's relating to a time just after his conversion, Jesus appears to him. So this is Paul saying it in Acts 22, but he's relating to an earlier time before he actually had an opportunity to go and speak to the Gentiles, where Jesus Christ appears to him and says to him, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. Jesus Christ giving a day-by-day, momentary action, you got to get up right now because they're not going to listen to you and you need to go. Paul is able to trust Jesus that when he needs to leave, he leaves. And I'm waiting for Jesus to give me that instruction. Now, by the way, we might wonder, does Jesus do this to everybody? He doesn't seem to, but he does it to him. And the ability to trust and to know that Jesus Christ is going to lead him in those moments allows the Apostle Paul to know when to stay and when to go. In Acts chapter 18, Paul entering into a new city. Jesus Christ speaks to him and says, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many people in the city who are my people. And I don't think Paul said, no, God, it should only be hard for me. I think he said, I could really use the break. I really need some time right now for some healing." Like, I really need to see God. Like, I don't know exactly how all of this is working. There is something broken in our theology when it's always hard, and there's something broken in our theology when it's always good. There's something broken in our theology when it is something other than what God wants, what God has determined. In reality, it's not God just closing doors so he's got a better way. It's God in his sovereignty closing doors, sometimes opening windows, sometimes pushing you through the wall, sometimes squeezing you through the keyhole. But it's God doing it all. And here the Apostle Paul says, I remember that time when God said to me, do not be afraid, because I was afraid. And he promised that no one would harm me, and he tells me not to be silent because It was one of those first times in my ministry where I was really questioning whether or not I should say something or not. And Jesus Christ gave me the words I needed when I needed them. And then we have a great text here in Acts chapter 23. The Apostle Paul, about to be torn in two, gets pulled out of this. He gets sent into a uh, kind of a prison cell context and it's at that moment that Jesus Christ appears by him, stands beside him, and says, take courage. I, I just don't know any way to read that other than the fact that the Apostle Paul, at some level, I don't know the degree, needed to be encouraged at that moment, needed to somehow have the presence of Jesus Christ for him to make it through. And Jesus comes, and he doesn't say, hey, hold on, all of this is just going to melt away. But he says, take courage. For as you've testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also in Rome. You'll you testify about me in Rome. Now, here's how we would read that. That the Apostle Paul is going to get out of prison the next day. He's going to probably spend some time with his family, hang out with his friends. Kinda, and then he's going to go on some incredible journey to Rome and have this incredible... No. Like, this is right before he finds out there's a plot of 40 to kill him. Maybe that's why he needs to hear the words, take courage. Because Jesus Christ knows that he's about to hear from his nephew that his life really is in jeopardy. He's about to have to walk over 60 miles in the middle of the night because people are trying to kill him. Like, this is what his journey to Rome is going to be. Spoiler alert, he's now going to sit in prison in Caesarea for a very, very long time and then get on a ship and the ship is going to sink. Like, this is God's plan for him. And the Apostle Paul doesn't know any of this. But, by the way, you do know this, like the Apostle Paul, I, I think, I don't, I don't know for certain, but at any moment the Apostle Paul can go, uncle, I'm done. Like, I'm, I, I can't do this anymore. What do you want me to say? Like, I won't follow him anymore. I'm willing to give up. I can't do this anymore. But he cannot forget the one that appeared to him. He cannot forget that he is his chosen instrument, and he will not let go of Jesus, because Jesus will not let go of him. And so the Apostle Paul remains faithful and remains courageous. And so what does he do? He just waits. Look at verse 35 of our text. Now he finds himself in a brand new location. The, 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 this place is quite amazing. We're getting ready to head to Jerusalem next May again. And this is one of the final places that we end up visiting is um, is Herod's Palace by the sea. Um, there is this, this wonderful, like a, like a boon's picking stadium, uh, uh, a, a, a incredible track where they would race horses, literally like, a, like an Olympic Colosseum kind of a place, and then his palace. And at the end of his palace, he has this infinity pool, and Then all these rooms, and now it's just really just a shell, but you can just see the splendor of Herod's palace, and he would have been kept in one part of this, And he is brought there as he is waiting. Next week we'll talk about specifically about how that that, that court, uh, the next level of his hearing goes. But I like how this text ends in verse 35. It really does remind us of how the Apostle Paul approached his walk with Jesus Christ to give us the courage to face our weak. Luke records this statement. Given by Felix, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And when he commanded him to be guarded, and and then he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. And so the Apostle Paul has to do what most of us always have to do, which is we just have to wait. Seems like a door has been closed, doesn't it, on Paul's ministry? He'll never see Jerusalem again. It seems like a door has been closed, doesn't it? It seems like maybe even his life is right near the end. And yet it's in moments like this that the Apostle Paul digs down deep. He seems to reflect upon all the things that God is And he reflects upon all the circumstances of his life. And he asks himself this question over and over and over again. Can God be trusted now? Can God be trusted today? Can God be trusted in these circumstances? And the answer he keeps coming back to is yes. God can be trusted. He said that I'm going to Rome. I don't know how it's going to get there. But if I know God, it's going to be different than I thought. Has your life turned out different than you thought? Has your faith journey been different than you thought? Has that caused you to question? Has that caused you to doubt? Has that caused you to flinch, spiritually speaking? This time I want to call Angela to come up. And I want to spend a few moments just reflecting on God's plan and God's purpose in your life? As she plays, I want you to think about the circumstances of your own life, which are probably very different than Paul's. But I would love for you to think about this question. When you decided to follow Jesus, what did you think that you were signing up for? And then I want to kind of just trace through the, time from when you moment, the moment from when you met Jesus to today. And see all the ups and all the downs. I want you to reflect on all the things that God has done for you and promised you and the strength that he has given you. Now, maybe if, if you're honest, you can actually stop and go, I really don't think I understood what I was getting into. That would be my testimony. I literally had no idea what I was getting into. But in this moment, you can at least ask that question again and say, but isn't he good? Like, hasn't he been good to you? And don't just think of circumstances, but think about him. Think about his love for you in Jesus. Think about his presence in your life during the difficult times. Think about the promises that he has given you and will continue to give you. So, I'm not asking you to look at some kind of a cliche, or I'm not asking you to believe in a better tomorrow. I'm asking you to consider Jesus, his character, his goodness. I'm asking you to think about God and his plan for you. And only then, I think you'll be able to look back at your own circumstances and say, He really is worth it all. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Not just because things are good, but because you are. God, we thank you for those times of trial and hardship, and we thank you for those times of blessing and joy. And may we see your hand in both. Father, we thank you for who Jesus is and for what he has done for us. And we thank you for a peace that finds its place in you and not in circumstances. Thank God that we would be able to look back at the cross and realize if that's what you would do, if that's how far you would go for us, oh, how much you must love us. So, God, be our guide be our joy. And Father, may we in different circumstances find our pleasure and our hope in you.
0: It's in Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.